Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. We are nearly two years into the COVID-19 pandemic, and just as we're heading into another winter season, some of New Mexico's main hospitals have enacted what's called crisis standards of care. The New Mexico Department of Health opened up that option for any hospital to make that declaration, allowing for what could be some key changes in terms of patient care. So what does this mean for New Mexicans and their interactions with hospitals? Here with us to break it down is Presbyterian Hospital's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Dr. Jason Mitchell. He's also board certified in family medicine and informatics. Dr. Mitchell, thanks for joining us. We know you're a busy man. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And so just to give some perspective, we've mentioned we're heading into yet another winter season with COVID-19. How have you personally been impacted by this pandemic? It's been really uh, different than I would have imagined. Um, I think it was scariest at the very beginning when I began to recognize what this pandemic could do to New Mexico and worldwide, um, and we didn't have any good solutions. Um, And it was really really scary to think about how many people would be hurt by this and how many people would die. Um, And it was a a burden recognizing the science behind it and seeing where it was gonna go. Um, I think over time, as we all pulled together and we did everything we could, I felt like we really bent the curve and we did the right things for New New Mexicans and so, that made it a lot easier because at least we were doing something. And, you know, and at this point, um, I feel like I'm doing well. I have a, a really good team. I work with at Presbyterian. We have great clinicians. Um, I feel like there's a lot of support from the community. And so although it's really hard, um, doing it together makes it feel better. And I feel like we're doing it together. I wanted to ask a kind of uh, state of the virus question for you right here about where we're at right now. Um, Given what we're seeing, are you more concerned this winter than say you were last winter? I was probably more concerned last winter because I didn't know what to expect, but I'm actually exceptionally concerned this winter. Um, and, And maybe it's again, because I don't know what to expect. The pandemic is acting different now than it has in the past. Um, And so before when we'd see surges, we'd see people change their behavior dramatically. You'd watch the curve roll over and things would come back down. Uh, We're not seeing that anymore. Um, We really were seeing just this gradual increase um, and we're seeing uh, essentially a fifth wave uh, hit other nations and hitting the United States and New Mexico is no different. What's different though, is it's a gradual increase instead of a sharp one. And I don't see anything that's pressuring it to come back down. So that's what's scary to me is um, it was, something's going to have to change to turn this. We mentioned right off the top of this conversation, the declaration of crisis standards of care. And I wanted to jump into that. For those who maybe are confused by this term, can you break it down for us? What does that designation allow you to do as a hospital system? And importantly, how have your facilities been sort of using the rules outlined in that designation? Yeah, crisis standards of care really just acknowledges the fact that we have unrelenting volumes and we're going to have to do things differently. Um, We're still practicing safe medicine. We're still taking care of patients. We're not turning people away, but you've got to be more creative um, to be able to get things done. And so it means we use different spaces. Um, So places where you normally wouldn't have beds, you wouldn't have rooms, you've got to leverage those spaces. Um, It means that we uh, may move people from one area where they normally practice to another area because that's where the demand is. It means that Sometimes people have to wait for surgeries that they've been waiting for for a long time. And so if it's not 
emergently medically necessary, so something like a knee replacement or hip replacement, it could have hurt that patient for four or five years, and now they're going to have to wait longer. Um, and so it's, it's some of those things that we change, but we do that to allow for the very sick people to have beds. The other thing we do is focus on how we can level load patients across all of our hospitals. What you never want to do is have one hospital that's fully overwhelmed and have others that have capacity. And so it really helps us focus on moving patients to wherever there is an available bed. And, and that's our biggest focus right now. So we know not everybody in the hospital has a COVID diagnosis, but we've also heard stories about just how exhausted medical staff is lately in New Mexico with sick patients who may have delayed care during the pandemic. What are you personally seeing with your hospital staff and how are their patients doing? That's a great question. You know, before I, before I go into that question, um, you know, we talk about delayed care as one of the causes, but I don't want anyone to feel like it's their fault. Right? It's not a patient's fault that they delayed care and now they're sicker. They delayed care because there was a pandemic and they were fearful to come into healthcare and healthcare was shutting down. And so I want to acknowledge the fact that, um, that delayed care is a result of the pandemic, not a, not a result of people's personal choices. I think, I think New Mexicans have really done a good job. Um, that said, we do have a lot sicker people in our hospitals. Um, about 20% are COVID. Um, and the rest are all of the things, and they are, they are just sick. It's hard for our staff because uh, there's, not, there's not those breaks. It's not easy. Um, every patient is hard. I think it's, it's hard for the sick people because um, we've got to take care of them and they're sicker. I think it's hard for COVID, and I think clinicians have to battle this in themselves is, you know, sometimes being frustrated that someone didn't get vaccinated and now they're sick. And so I think that it's a challenge for people. I think our clinicians do really well with that because if you think about it, People smoke, right? People drink, people do other things. Each one of us has done things that's risky. That doesn't mean we don't want to take care of you. And so you have to step back and say, meet people where they are um, and always give them the best care they can. But I think after um, two years of a pandemic, uh, it takes people a second to, to think about that and say, okay, let me remember what my mission is. Okay, I got it. Can you give us an idea of how much of the strain on hospitals currently is related to COVID? And like you just mentioned, some of them, you know, some of the sick people in the hospitals not being vaccinated. If you look at the numbers, about 20% of our hospital beds have COVID people in them, COVID positive in them. About 87% of our hospitalized patients aren't vaccinated. So the vast majority of COVID patients in the hospitals are not vaccinated. Our hospitals are running at 120% capacity. And so even if you completely removed all the COVID, we're still really, really busy with very sick people. That's why you're really seeing this is, is we've got this, this hard, hard component to it. Um, maybe a a positive way of saying that is if everybody got vaccinated, that would end the pandemic. It ended it very, very quickly, which would take us back to normal capacity, probably in a series of six to eight weeks, right? And we get us very quick. So as strange as it is, we have a solution. And I know it's a hard one, but that vaccine, uh, it works. It's been tested. It's highly effective. And, uh, you know, you are, you are really good immunity five weeks after that first shot if you get the second shot. I mean, how frustrating is that to know that you can say something like that? We have this vaccine that will stop the majority of people from getting hospitalized, but yet there's still that number out there that's roughly 40% of New Mexicans, when you look at the entire population, remain unvaccinated. And that number of vaccinations is not moving all that quickly. It's got to be frustrating. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, one, of the, one of the amazing privileges of being a clinician is you don't have to judge anyone, right? You're just there to help them and you're there to get them to their next better health. And whether that's helping someone reduce the amount of alcohol they drink, whether it's helping someone begin to take their diabetes medications, but they're not compliant, it doesn't matter, right? You're there to get them to the next best. 
And so um, personally, I'm, I'm not frustrated with people that haven't been vaccinated. There's reasons, there's things they're thinking. Um, there's all kinds of things in their life you don't know about, right? And so um, I'm less, so I don't feel frustration with it. Really what I feel is I feel hopeful, right? Because we have a solution. And I feel like as a community, if we do things together, we can we can make that solution. I think where we're going to not make it is if it's just our Department of Health and our governor trying to solve this, right? Or if it's just healthcare trying to solve this, because we're pulling all the levers we can. Um, and it really, we need the community to really come together and solve it. And I think that's who people are going to listen to and trust. And so it's weird. I know I probably should feel more frustrated, but I'm not. Um, I feel hopeful. And I feel like, I feel like if if we as a community figure out what are those things, we can get there. If I knew exactly what they were, I would tell you right now, I'd write a paper and, and we'd be done with it. Um, so I don't know what they are, um, but there's a lot of smart, caring people in our community that I think can figure it out for us. You mentioned, of course, the state where we're at right now is that there are a lot of hospitalizations and what what seemingly will be over the next several weeks, more COVID-related hospitalizations to add to the total population mix. And Understanding this crisis standards of care status in part means that's that shuffling, right? You mentioned level loading patients across hospitals. You at Presbyterian and UNMH are really doing a lot of that work, level loading patients to make sure everybody gets to the right place they need to go. At what point, though, will there be a situation where the rationing care, the idea of deallocating care that is very central, I think, in a component of crisis standards of care at what point might that be something that may need to happen? I guess, first of all, I hope that doesn't happen. It's that, I mean, that, that is a nightmare we're all afraid of, right? You, you don't want to take away care. You don't want to ration care. Um, and we'll continue to do everything we can. It's hard for me to know what that point is. I think we'd see more and more need across all of our hospitals to, to level load patients even further. Um, I think we need to see, uh, we'd see more transfers outside of the state. So I think there's other levels and we don't want to, no one wants to live in, you know, Berlin and have to get hospitalized in someplace in Texas, right? They want to be close to home, but I would see those things happening first before we got to rationing care. Um, rationing care is really at the end. Um, I also um, hope that the community at some point would say, okay, we got, we got to all stay home and get really careful because this is getting crazy. Um, and so you don't want, you don't want people to be afraid. Um, but you want them to make good choices and make their choices based off the level of risk. And certainly that level of risk keeps rising and rising and rising. Um, and I, I don't know that our communities recognize um, it's more of kind of that, that boiling water, right? Turning the temperature up a little bit and you don't recognize the temperature is going up. I think that's what it is right now in New Mexico. So there certainly seems like there are other relief valves to sort of release before maybe that rationing care thing. Has yeah, to we have other relief valves. Um, you know, we, we have almost 500 travelers in our organization now traveling nurses um, to augment. So we continue to augment that way. Um, I think helping people get to the right level of care. So if they don't have a true emergency, they should think about other ways to get care like urgent care in their primary care doctor's office. Um, we have a, we actually have um, a press today. I don't know if you say it's just press, uh, press today and it's get care today. And you can basically select, you know, I want to do a, uh, visit just through chat. I want to do a visit online and you can click it and do stuff really easy. And so for a lot of things, um, you can get things done really quick. Um, with a chatting one, about 70% of people that engage that get things resolved within 10 minutes. Um, and that's with a physician. Um, and so I think if we can take people and give them easier ways to get care for the basics, um, then it frees up the room for the people that are really ill. Gotcha. And so part of that crisis standards of care aid, you mentioned the 500 traveling staff is that from the federal government? 
No, that's that's us working with contractors around the nation to purchase it. It's it's exceptionally expensive, and it's the right thing to do. And so that's been our approach for this this whole pandemic is do the right thing. And so we did it with our staff. You know, during the pandemic early on when clinics were closed and, you know, volumes tanked, uh, we didn't lay off anybody. We didn't furlough anyone. And even if someone couldn't do their job, we paid them their full salaries and kept them the whole time because that's the right thing to do for our workforce. And it kept the workforce here when we need them as things open back up. And so same thing with the travelers. Uh, we're doing what we have to do um, to take care of people safely. Wow. Okay. And um, so I want to shift gears just a little bit here and talk about COVID boosters. I feel like we're having a little bit of deja vu from the conversations I was having with hospital staff last year at this time when we were just talking about the initial vaccine series. Now, a lot of the discussion has been around boosters. We've heard the Department of Health say now everyone 18 and older should get a booster shot, essentially a third vaccine to protect against COVID-19. Do you believe boosters are an essential piece of the puzzle to put an end to this pandemic? Absolutely. Absolutely. The data is really clear at this point. Um, because of the way COVID's moved through the world and the different surges, we able to watch what happens in Israel, watch what happens in Europe, um, and then also the data uh, that's been done in the United States. And it's very clear that a booster brings that immunity back up. It's also very clear that after the second shot, over time, you do have some waning immunity and need the booster. And so we absolutely need boosters. You know, if everyone was already vaccinated, having a little waning immunity is less important because no one's sick, no one's passing COVID around. But in a community where, you know, really only 60% of people are vaccinated, there's such a large pool of people that can have COVID, it's very easy for them to pass them back to people who may need a booster. Um, and so that's, that's why it's so important. So we need both the primary vaccines to increase, and we need everyone to get a booster. And I think you're going to see that nationally, it's just going to be 18 and over, everyone get a booster. And then, honestly, uh, it'll be the kids next, right? They just got them later, so it's not time uh, but I'm sure we'll see those recommendations in time. Do you think New Mexico is doing enough to get those boosters out to those who can get them and to get them out easily? I feel like we've done a, a very exceptional job. Um, and in fact, we, we vaccinated a lot of people really quick, which is one of the reasons now we have the need for boosters. So where other states had a low uptake, we got people vaccinated fast. Now it's been six or seven or eight months. And so we need to get the boosters out. Um, they are They're almost ubiquitous out there. Um, if you go to the DOH website and want to sign up for a booster, you can get them in clinics, you can get them in pharmacies, you can get them at Department of Health sites. I mean, they're just everywhere. And so I'm really happy with that. Um, we continue to do, um, you know, uh, booster campaigns. And then also within Presbyterian, we do a lot of stuff with our data to identify vulnerable people who may not be able to get uh, boosters or even primary vaccines. And we do outreach and have partnered with uh, Albuquerque Ambulance to get them in their homes. Um, so trying to find those folks, like you said, so you can equitably get them out to people that might not otherwise get them. So we know there is a big chunk of New Mexicans who have gotten the vaccine and, you know, were eager to get a booster. But then there's this other part of our population who are vaccine hesitant. Um, and I heard you mention or, or one of the other healthcare staff mentioned in the press conference too, those who say, well, I've had COVID. I have antibodies. Can I just test for antibodies and I'm still protected? What do you say to those folks? Yeah. Yeah, so um, unfortunately, you do not get lasting protection from having the COVID infection. We know that it probably wanes after about three months. Um, and so at that point, you do need a vaccination. Um, the data is very clear about this. And if you even think about a common sense way of looking at it, the coronavirus, COVID, uh, coronavirus is also the common cold, right? A different strain of it is the common cold. And you can get the common cold more than once in a year. And you can get the common cold every year. And so these viruses, uh, by definition, try not to give you great immunity, 
right? Because they rely on being able to come back to you over and over again. Um, so testing the antibodies uh, is not going to tell you whether you're immune or not. Um, and we know that the that the immunity wanes. And so, if you've had uh, if you've had COVID, I'm super sorry, and I, it's not your fault. Um, I hope you did well and uh, and get your booster <laughs> or your primary vaccine. Is there anything else that you wish the general public just understood about our local hospitals in New Mexico? You have an inside look. So, is there something that you think maybe not everybody knows about that they should? I don't think people comprehend um, how intense it is. Um, even, even each of us, until you go around in the hospital, it's easy to start thinking, well, it's, it's not that bad. Um, and then when you go around in the ICU and the floors and the ED, it is that bad. So I think one, just recognize it's probably worse than you think. It's probably busier than you think. Um, the second is, you know, I need people to know that they're the solution. At this point, we've done everything we can. And the only solution to this is, is our community coming together and ending the pandemic through through vaccination and COVID safe practices. The only good end of the story is communities vaccinating and preventing the spread of COVID. Um, without that, there's only bad ends to the story. Are there any other final thoughts maybe you have uh, looking out, and in, in especially when we think about where we're at right now, hospitals, hospitalizations are increasing for patients with COVID. Um, we're heading into a time when a lot of people gather together. You know, I would say, um, think about what's important to you as an individual. And a lot of, for a lot of us, that's our family, right? That's the, our family and friends and the people we care about. That's what really matters. Um, and it's a time of gathering, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and all of our different um, winter holidays. Then do those things that keep those people safe and keep those people healthy and allow you to get together. And there's, there's a couple things you can do, right? You can make sure that you get vaccinated. You can make sure you get the booster. You can make sure that if you're not feeling quite up to par, you're feeling a little sick, you don't go. Um, and you can test. Um, there's a lot of uh, tests out there now. And if you're going to get together, there's nothing wrong with everyone doing a test the day before just to make sure there's not one asymptomatic person that's going to start that spread and, and end up um, hurting that thing that you love so much, which are your friends and family. Thank you, Dr. Mitchell. We really appreciate your time and sharing your insight with us. Thank you all so much. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Dr. Mitchell for helping us break this down. Now, it's worth noting Presbyterian has nine hospitals statewide. They're the largest healthcare system in the state, caring for almost 50% of New Mexico's population. As of November 18th, six hospitals in New Mexico were in crisis standards of care status, and there are at least 39 hospitals in the state. Some of them as well are getting federal assistance to ease the burden of staffing shortages. We'll have another episode next week. In the meantime, check out our website, krqe.com slash podcasts. If you like the show, have some feedback, let us know. I'm at gabrielle.burkhardt at krqe.com and gburknm on Twitter. And I'm Chris McKee at Chris McKee TV on Twitter. And that is chris.mckee at krqe.com. Thanks for listening.